0: Welcome back to Women's Fire. I'm your host, Michelle Thomas. Um, it's good to be with you here today. All right. Today, my guest is Nora McLaughlin. And Nora, I met at a fire with some other um, women. It wasn't one of my fires. It was Heidi's fire. And um, what's great about, um, obviously, other people hosting spaces is that you get to meet people in their circle. And so I hadn't met Nora Um, but she is a large animal veterinarian and um, I remember at that fire she was talking a little bit about her job and I just thought wow how fascinating to be a female large animal vet in rural Wisconsin you wanted to hear about her journey and whatnot so I got her in the studio and um, we had a lovely conversation it was really good to be able to sit down and get to know her I don't think I said this while we were recording, but that is one of the things I love most about doing this podcast is that um, I get to pull people in who I think are interesting or have interesting things to say or do interesting things or all of the above and um, just get to um, ask them all the questions I'm wondering about and and get to know them a little bit better. And um, you know, Nora had made a comment, um, I think it was afterwards where she was like, I don't know like I mean obviously it's her life she's not doesn't know if it's interesting enough and um, you know just convincing her that uh, yeah this is totally interesting I don't do anything remotely um, to what she does and have taken obviously had a different path um, that brought us both here so anyway I think it's super interesting and she's super smart and um, really uh, just a lovely, warm human being. And so, um, please enjoy this conversation with Nora McLaughlin. Hi, Nora, welcome to the studio. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for being here. Thank you. All right, so um, as everyone knows, if they clicked on the episode, um, you're a large animal vet, and we're definitely gonna talk about how you came to that profession, but um, I always like to start with where you came from, where you grew up, Mm-hmm. And um,
1: yeah, where you started life out. Where I started life out. I am from the suburbs of New York City.
0: Okay. Like like suburbs of Chicago two
1: hours away or like, like suburbs? Like you get like on the train and go into and the go city. In fun. Which was a really great place to grow up. And then I chose to go to college in New York City. And I really enjoyed um, like urban life and living in a city.
0: Did your parents work in the city?
1: Yeah, my dad did. Yeah.
0: yeah. So um, that was just part of your life.
1: That was part of our life. It was a uh, like an easy escape from where you are as a kid. You know, you like want to leave your town. Sure. In high school or something, you so want to get somewhere different. Yeah, you can just hop on the train and. When
0: you were a teenager, did you go to the city a lot? Is that where?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I
0: gravitated. We did. <laughs> got into some trouble there, maybe. Not too much trouble. No. But then what I went did to college
1: do? in the city,
0: and I got. Okay, then you got. found a
1: lot more trouble there.
0: Right. What did you do in the city as a young person?
1: Uh, it was as a young person, it was super benign, but it still felt wild. We would like go to K Town, like Koreatown, and do karaoke and. Uh, Go to diners and get, like, waffles with ice cream and whipped cream. So
0: what's funny to me about that is I grew up in a smaller town than Viroqua Uh in eastern Wisconsin, town of a 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. So the thought of when I think of going into New York City, I just think, like, well, hustle, bustle. And if you're an adult who has your wits about you, you can navigate that. When Mm -hmm. I think of, like, teenagers Mm -hmm. or young adults, I Mm -hmm. think – like danger <laughs> but it sounds so very innocent and They're like like innocent. you could navigate I suppose if it's kind of your backyard then
1: and you always you have, have at least it. one friend in a group who really is the one leading us with directions and sure like train you reading. take and yeah right because you you're not of, driving and parking you no know, you kind of plan ahead and, yeah
0: yeah fun what did you um when you went to college did you study what did you study
1: I studied environmental engineering okay um The track I chose was sustainable materials and energy production. Um, So it was a lot of chemical engineering, and uh, I loved it. I ended up actually, like the day I graduated, took pictures with my advisor on a Wednesday, and he just patted my back and said, see you tomorrow because I went right into grad school. And I stayed on in a Ph.D. program in environmental engineering. I ended up only doing the master's. I left uh, when I realized I was... Not that was not the plan. Yeah. I wanted.
0: How did how did you get so far down that path with it? Uh, I
1: like, enjoyed was there
0: it. A final straw or a-
1: I really I no I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed what I was studying and what I was doing, um, but I reached this point. It was Thanksgiving or Christmas the year I was doing the master's and I was home with my family and I felt like it was like this big ordeal. I was like, I don't think I want to do this. Mm. I think I still want to be a vet because I thought I wanted to be a vet as a kid. Okay. And I was like, but I'm too old to change. And my parents were like, you're 21. right? (laughs) (laughs) That is real though. Yeah. Yeah, My
0: husband and I, after graduate school, we're going to do, we thought about doing the Peace Corps. We were Mm -hmm. pretty into it mm-hmm. and then we were like we cannot wait two years to go to start our life we are 24 <laughs> or whatever it was right like something such so a ridiculous now i know but it feels so important yeah then i mean yeah. i totally get that yeah and so what convinced you you could do it um just your parents encouraged yeah my
1: family was super supportive and the people that had known me since i was really young were like oh yeah of course you're gonna be that that's what you've always wanted to do right. And it was really, uh, it was comforting that the people that had known me the longest were like, "That makes the most sense."
0: What that suits you? What made you decide to go into environmental engineering then? If being a vet was always kind of out there, like, why'd you choose that over that?
1: I chose. So I, as a young kid, would always ask Dr. Pinkney. Our small animal vet, we, I, I grew up where there were dogs and cats. We didn't have cattle there. Mm-hmm. And I would go with my parents to every appointment. And even since I was a little child, I would ask him for a job. And he'd be like, you're seven. I can't hire you. <laughs> and so on my 14th birthday, Dr. Pinckney called me and offered me a job. And I started working at that clinic, um, seeing dogs and cats on weekends. It was a great job to have. But like a few days into it, I was like, oh, I don't really like this what part of it <laughs> uh, i remember specifically like um a golden retriever had died and they were trying to figure out why and they took samples and sent them off and i found that to be so much more exciting and like there was suspense to that i'm like what what is going on with that with those kidneys like i want to know more about no, why just... things went wrong there Whereas in like in that particular clinic setting, which isn't true for every clinic, but it was more what was relevant there more was like the wellness and keeping people's pets healthy. And um, there wasn't the like investigative part necessarily. Mm -hmm. And um, I guess it could change depending where you practice. But I just found um, the context, like there wasn't a lot of context. We were like trying to keep pets healthy. And uh, I kind of liked... I was so intrigued by wanting to know more about that piece of kidney that left the clinic. Yeah,
0: <laughs> and I like. well, what's interesting about that is that I think, when I think of kids wanting to be vets, it's because they love animals, they want mm-hmm. to cuddle them, they mm-hmm. think they want to be around animals. And mm-hmm. I would think the reality of the kidneys and the dead dog <laughs> would have been like, no thanks. I thought this was going to be just, like, fun. But usually, like, when I take my pets, unless it is just a checkup, right? Like, they're sick. You have to hold them down. You got to give them a shot or draw blood or do whatever. And that's, like, not just petting cats Mm -hmm. and dogs all day, right? Mm -hmm. All right. So you decided as a teen, maybe not so much. But
1: But I still was interested. I was definitely still interested in veterinary medicine. But I wanted, I have more of, like, a... Like, I like problems. I was going to say problem solver. I totally. Mind. I like to do some detective work. My sisters make fun of me that I create mysteries where there, <laughs> no one's asking for the answer. And I have, like, set up. I'm like, oh, well, wow. based on this evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. And so that, I was just attracted to realms where I could do, where I knew that I could use that kind of, like, deductive reasoning type of thing. Right. So, like, engineering felt like a really natural choice. So I just kind of went into it. I was really good at math and science. So that was like a logical next step. And I felt like I kept doing logical next steps, like advisors would be like, well, you're good at this. You could do that. And I just kept kind of like following leads, basically, from people who I trusted. And then I kind of got to this point where I was like, whoa, this. I got to a place doing things I liked, but I didn't necessarily like actively pursue each next step. And so I kind of stepped back and I actually moved home with my parents, taught yoga. Well, I took post-bac classes so that I could apply to vet school. And I decided to ride along with some large animal vets close to where I grew up. Okay. Um, So where I grew up is more like the suburbs. But if you go north a little bit into New York, you can get into the hobby farming realm. And so I started riding with a vet. And in terms of veteran, just as a side note for the veterinary profession, it's one of those jobs where classroom learning is a big part of it but to understand the job is very much like a you do like shadowing and apprenticeship type structures like you have to be with someone doing their job to see what it's like you can't recreate it necessarily right so riding along is a huge part of uh training to be a large animal but so I rode along with this woman who saw basically any large animal thing that came her way and I was like enamored as soon as I worked with cattle I was like these are my creatures yeah what did you love about them I just love, like, they're they're huge and they're potentially dangerous, but they're docile and they're... I mean, not always, but there's this element of, like, we have to find ways to keep ourselves safe. And you kind of use, like, the domesticated large animals but that we normally work with, horses and cattle, they're prey animals. And so there's this uh, structure around them that you can kind of use in terms of keeping yourself safe and keeping them safe and how to move them, and I just... I think they're elegant and I yeah I just was really really it just kind of clicked and it was just kind of like a it felt right
0: yeah bolt of lightning
1: yeah um definitely. I meant
0: to ask what what did your dad do
1: uh my dad was a banker he like oh, okay. took the train to New York and
0: yeah well because since you said he worked office. in the city and, yeah like, he probably yeah. wasn't a vet although he wanted to be a vet he, oh interesting.
1: He served in the navy during Vietnam and when he came back he applied to vet school and he was told he was too old but he he like grew up Aww. riding horses and so he when and I didn't know this much about him but when I got into vet school he like brought me a stack of veterinary textbooks that he had had since he was a child that Aww. he was like these can be yours and so That's I didn't so even true. realize that there was kind of that Passed down, yeah. Interests or shared interests that we both have.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah. what did your mom work outside the home?
1: She was a teacher, special education teacher. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So totally different. Yeah.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> different. Different. Uh, use like a side hemisphere of the brain probably used than dad mm-hmm. banker mm-hmm. and vet. Mm-hmm. I suppose both. Right. All right. So you go to vet school. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to Colorado State University um, for a graduate, my graduate degree, and I just know vet school, like their vet school, for example, like really hard to get in. Was that Were you worried about that at all? Was that competitive? Did you feel like you had what you needed to?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was competitive yeah. to get in. Um, I wasn't particularly worried. You're a good student. Yeah, I've been a yeah. good <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. Yeah. 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 Well, academics,
0: I I mean, it's because I can relate to that. Like I, as soon as I was done with, I mean, of course, I was going to go to graduate school. I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm not leaving with a psychology degree and nothing to do. Like Mm -hmm. I need to keep going. Mm -hmm. And so um, in academia always felt very safe for me because there's like rules and classes and expectations that are like written down. And I kind of knew what to do to get where yeah. I needed to go it was like
1: that road map and I, can I relate appreciated to that, that so much and yeah. the pentameter of your time like you know what semester it is and yeah. you have exams and they're over yeah and it's so it's so contained yeah yeah school I really enjoyed the school structure you know right. and it's like it is a safe place you know right. where you can learn and and then you then you leave it eventually right Most well of and us. hopefully with enough
0: of I mean I th- I think what what happened for me, although I took a uh, extra year to do my thesis, but I had it I got a job. It's like then then I could at least get a job, which mm-hmm. again provides all that mm-hmm. structure and mm-hmm. stuff. I don't know. Like I just I needed I was the first person in my family to go to college and so mm-hmm. I definitely needed like a roadmap or you know, there wasn't just like, Oh, I don't know, like I don't know what to do with a psychology degree. I'll figure it out or whatever. It was like, you don't stop school until you can get a job. Like, Mm -hmm. the bridges have Mm to, you know, be Mm -hmm. there. Um, Now, I don't know about you, but I consider graduate school, like, probably the most formative years for, like, my adult life. Like, we lived in, um, Chris and I, my husband, lived in Colorado for four years. And I just think, like, that's where we... Grew up. That's where we like became a couple. Like that's and and for a long time I didn't even use my degree because I stayed home with my kids. Mm-hmm. But I was so thankful for that opportunity to I don't know, it's like you're that young adult space. You're meeting people, you're experiencing mm-hmm. new things, you're learning, you're in your passion, mm-hmm. like what you want to do. What was graduate school like for you?
1: Um It felt a little bit like a like a whirlwind, like a blur, to be honest. Yeah. Like the First half roughly of school, you're spending like eight hours in the classroom. Different lecturers would come to us each hour. You'd have a break to either like get coffee or go to the bathroom, but not do both. And like, (laughs) it was uh, those first two years, I don't honestly remember a whole lot. I mean, I remember the material, but like my life outside of it was kind of lost. And it was actually really hard to stay motivated in that structure because you kind of lose sight of why you're there. So I started milking on a, the, one of the like the school's dairy farm on the weekends, and that was an opportunity to like get out of the city, be with cows, kind of remind myself the context of why I was going through all this classroom Sitting time through but, hours and hours yeah, of lectures. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was helpful. And then then vet school takes a pretty sharp turn, and the second half of it is the hands on like clinical stuff. And you can also travel and go to other places and learn from different schools. And especially as a student interested in agriculture or like food animals, production animals, though, all those industries are so regional that you can't mm. learn about them and you can't stay in one place sure. and necessarily visit, understand everything. So you sort of have to, you don't have to, but it's a, lot, it's, it's a little more accessible. Certain Certain aspects of learning those industries is more accessible if you travel. So yeah. as a large animal student, we would all go on externships and go visit different practices or spend time in different parts of the country. Where did you go? So I I spent time in Idaho at the U.S. Sheep Station where we have, like, a USDA facility with a whole bunch of sheep. Um, In the Central Valley of California, did a lot of big dairy work. Uh, I actually originally thought I wanted to work in epidemiology with an engineering background, modeling diseases, like, made sense. I wanted to just make spreadsheets of why things were happening. And so I spent an entire month of my schooling uh, in Fort Collins with the oh. Center for Epidemiology and Animal Health okay. right by CSU. Yeah. Uh, and so that was totally a different type of experience there and learning what the veterinarians do who work for the government yeah. modeling diseases. And I went to New Zealand for a month because they have seasonal dairy, which is kind of uncommon. Most what is that? So most, um, most dairy operations have baby calves being born throughout the year. Okay. And so at any any day of the year, there is a cow who's in the middle of her lactation, a cow who's going to calve soon. Someone that calved a month ago, you know, you have the entire gamut at any time. Uh, when something's seasonal, like all the babies are born at the same time. So sure. beef, for instance, in this country is typically seasonal where most most people will have their calves born in the spring. So all your cows are getting pregnant at the same time, they're lactating and feeding babies at the same time, they're having their babies at the same time, Um, and so seasonal dairy is like a hybrid of those two things, where it's dairy cows but in a seasonal structure, so it's unique that I was able to go like during calving season and get a ton of calving experience and then a ton of like baby calf processing experience at once, whereas most dairy settings in this country you you wouldn't have intensity of doing one particular task so heavily
0: so i'm going to make an assumption is that like more environmentally sound what they do in new zealand is there a reason why they do it that way i see potentially that the u.s is like just churn them out
1: i think it (laughs) has a lot to do do with like new zealand makes so much more dairy than they actually need necessarily so they're a a net exporter and to export dairy products, you're often going to dehydrate them and make powdered milk because it's cheaper than transporting a bunch of water. Ah, because milk is mostly water. Sure. So if you are dehydrating your dairy product before exporting, the uh, the shelf life essentially isn't as relevant. Gotcha. So it's a little bit easier, and then given the what kind of land they have available available, and they have a lot of pasture there, and they just have a different setup. So it's kind of what works based on what that region can do. What they need. Yeah.
0: Yeah, super interesting. I'm sure, like, how economics
1: crosses with. Economic crosses a lot, yeah. And it's interesting, because economics crosses it a lot, like, or maybe not necessarily economics, but also, like, the structure of each farm. Like, I might often see, I could see one animal, or I could see seven animals with the same ailment, but we have to handle it seven different ways based on where she is, right? Mm. And what, what kind of structures are around Sure, Which is a relief. Like kind of how it's being done, how that. Yeah. Is it a dairy animal? Is it a beef animal? Gotcha. Is this a conventional farm, an organic farm? Yeah. Is it like a backyard cow? Right. There's a whole different, what's the skill level, the people taking care of her? What kind of treatments are they going to be comfortable giving? Right. So. It's like that's tailored. That's thing. Yeah, but. totally.
0: Um, And so it sounds like you always knew you wanted to work with cows specifically or when you're a large animal vet are you trained in like lions and <laughs> hippos or like like do you go to
1: zoos do you or is that like do, a different track i personally track? do not uh okay. go to zoos but like during your For, training during is training that part of it? we all like a veterinary license legally for just a regular old vet, not like board certified surgeon and dermatologist. That's kind of a different realm, but for just a licensed veterinarian, all of our licenses are identical. Oh, okay. So we in school have to do a minimum of like a certain amount of small animal, a certain amount of exotic, certain amount of large animal and equine, etc., to take the same exact board exam. Gotcha. Which is there's some really great things about that. If I like my job is really physical and a lot of large animal vets leave because of injuries or because just it's gonna it be tiring on your body. You have a license where you can then go, you know, do some sure. more continuing ed, but you can you can practice in different realms if you need to. Gotcha. Um, it's also kind of hard because I don't know how the profession is gonna keep up with it, but they keep advancing knowledge in all of these different realms, sure. and then as a student, you're like expected to take in. All, all of, of it. All of even though it's things. not. Like our orthopedics are advancing, so we need to know all the different types of fractures and stability. All right. Procedures, but, or stabilizing procedures, but you're, but- It doesn't really affect your specific field. Yeah. yeah not
0: necessarily. And so you can just declare, like, I'm going to specialize in large animals and those are the jobs I'm going to seek or whatever it is, like once, yeah, once yeah. you go from there, you can mm-hmm. do whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you keep bringing up cows, so it sounds yeah, like throughout. see I see, I see your... a lot of
1: cows, just regionally, <laughs> that's what we have here. Yeah, totally. But I do um, – the way I see it, like when I chose to move here, I moved here for this area and, like, in this area, and I've chosen to stay here, and industries change, right? So, like, there are dairy cows here now, but that even that's shifting. And so my viewpoint right now in life and in practicing here is I – help our local people so like whatever our farmers mm-hmm. need is kind of what i am open to doing and sometimes that makes me like open to i can be pretty vulnerable with that stance like i've started doing some poultry welfare audits and like okay i do i do more and more equine work because that's just what people need and i'm interested in it i just sure. haven't done as much and so i'm you know trying to improve what i know there and how i can help people llamas and alpacas sheep and goats pigs Pigs, chickens I saw a duck this weekend so like yeah I'll kind of see whatever
0: yeah well I love that (laughs) um it's not a it I mean the animals obviously are important but it's not like I work with cows Mm -hmm. you work with people right they're the ones that need the help and are calling you and that you're there in service yeah. To them.
1: And what you reference, like when you think of people wanting to be a vet, like they love animals. And sure, we all have that in us somewhere. And that's what made me want to originally be a vet. But then the day to day, the things that are actually satisfying and what keeps me going is, is more I mean, sure, I still care about the animals I work with tremendously, but it's the relationships with people, right? Like I get to either empower people in their routine and how they're caring for their animals and helping them be the best at what they want to be or they call me for an emergency when they're super vulnerable and they can't fix a problem themselves and they don't yeah. want to call me they don't want they want to fix it themselves right yeah. so they're in this position of of depending on someone else and I don't take that lightly you know so right
0: well and they're you know oftentimes probably a animal that means something to them mm-hmm. you know that they have a relationship mm-hmm. with or something that is more than just the problem, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so to back up a second, so what did bring you to Wisconsin? Like, how did you, or did you live elsewhere before you
1: moved here? No, my first job out of school was here. Yeah. I did not have a job at graduation, though, and I told Akram, my husband, we were dating at the time, that we were going to go on a road trip to Wisconsin and just go, like, biking and camping. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Then I would call up a vet because I was trying to find a job living in Pennsylvania, which is where I went to vet school. Okay. And because it's such a regional like agriculture, such a regional type of small town feel in every small town. Right. Yeah. When someone emails you from across the country for looking for a job, it's kind of dismissed. But if someone calls you and is like, I'm an hour away. I'm looking for a job. Can I ride with you tomorrow? They have mm-hmm. a much harder time <laughs> saying no to that. Yeah. So we drove around the state for, I did it for a month almost.
0: In this region specifically? In
1: Wisconsin. I kind of chose. You're like, where are there lots of cows? There are cows. Well, a big part was there's water. <laughs> I look at the country and I see where is agriculture long-term going to be yes. here. There has to be water.
0: That is, I'm going to pivot on that just for yeah. one second because Chris and I, we loved Colorado. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were there like over 15 years ago now, 18 years ago. It's like 18 to 20 years ago. So prime. I mean, it was still booming and um, like would have been a good investment, I guess is what I'm saying. But where our families are from here, we came back here, but we always talked about going back. But, and I just think about like, weather (laughs) you know like what do we want to do it's beautiful whatever chris was very specific about water Mm -hmm. because we come from he's from minnesota i'm from wisconsin and he's like i don't like what i see happening there yeah like there's going to be there's some problems on the horizon Mm -hmm, that um mm -hmm. it's going to be uninhabitable and this is where
1: we need to be
0: like i really felt like it was something like this provider sense in him of like where's my family going to be safe and like well provided for and so for us this driftless region is to me it's like our colorado in the midwest of like some of the things and just the beauty that we really appreciated right. there but the water was actually like a big yeah like i share that sentiment with yeah Chris. that's really interesting
1: <laughs> yeah right. i wanted to be somewhere where there's going to be water and therefore animal agriculture is likely to continue you can't really Do this without water. Um, My mom was originally from Wisconsin, so my grandmother actually grew up outside of Toma. Oh, yeah. And so there's a little bit of tie, but I wasn't from here. And so it felt somewhat arbitrary, to be honest. I was like, well, I'm going to go where I kind of have family and there's (laughs) water and there's animals. And normally, when you're a large animal vet, you move to an area, that area has an industry, and that is what you work on. And so if I moved to Central California, I would work on large dairies. If I was. In you know Western New York, it'd be like mid-sized areas, and it's there's kind of typical structures within a tip, uh, within a region. And then I got here, and there is everything—yeah, like a little bit of absolutely everything. And I get to see a variety that existed like generations ago in my mm-hmm. career that's kind of gone away in most of the country. Where it's legends, yeah, and like so the stuff that I get to see, and also we don't have. I mean, we have Madison, not that far. People need to refer things. But for the most part, I see things. I'm like, well, we might need to refer this to the vet school. And they're like, nope, you're it. So do what you can. And oh, so I get sure. to, like, people, I get to, you know, explore, do more stuff than maybe I would have been able to if I had, like, an emergency clinic nearby or, like, a a large general right. hospital. And so that the rural aspect of that is appealing to me yeah and then yeah the variety I see sure most of the time I'm seeing dairy cows but I also see a lot of beef cows and there's yeah a lot of seasonality like the spring a lot of animals are being born right now we're getting ready for breeding season so we're making sure all the bulls are ready in the beef world and it's and the horses are getting pregnant and so there's there's like a the variety also provides like different interest and different um just kind of like a different flow throughout the year.
0: Right, so you're not just always doing like um, mastitis Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. (laughs) in a cow udder or whatever, right? Like there's different, the whole animal over the course of a year. So how did you land a job here?
1: Uh, I actually was supposed to interview a job in I think it was Mondovi on a Monday and Akram and I got to the area on Friday we're like we'll just check it out and see what it's like and they called me Friday night and they're like we hired someone the position's been filled but he's leaving a job he really likes mm. and they don't know that they're going to be hiring yet so you might need to wait a little bit but they will be looking for veterinary and that job was out of cash in so the cash in vet clinic's where I work nice so he uh as soon as he told them, then I reached out to them. You, know. <laughs> you had that insider information. Lucky you. I was like, and conveniently, I'm actually in the States. I'm here. <laughs> right mm-hmm. here. Actually, so really close by I could see you. And they were like, sure. It was a Friday. They're like, you can come right along Friday. And then I was like, could I come back Monday? <laughs> like, all
0: right, sure. Nice. And I Lucky just loved you. it. I
1: fell in love with it around here. And it's a group of veterinarians, so I don't work alone. I get to share ideas with people. Share like logistically, it's convenient. You get to share the burden of being on call, and you get to. We have to cover a pretty big area, and so we can try to like divide and conquer and be efficient throughout our days. Um, Nice. So yeah, it just it just worked out beautifully. And then we found Viroqua as a town that was so unique and had some diversity and had some just a lot of things we couldn't find in in a lot of other small towns. Yeah, where there's yeah. cows (laughs)
0: Cows yeah. <laughs> or you know, agriculture, yeah. yeah. So you know, I get
1: to have my feet in like all these different worlds living here, and oh, we man. yeah, it feels what really, did your feels husband really make of it?
0: Is he from the New York area as well? Yeah,
1: he's from New Jersey, so another okay. heavily so city, pop, yes, definitely right. city. And uh, what he is like so game for, have you? I don't know if you've ever met him before, but he's like an enthusiastic game for anything kind of guy, and I was like. I might move for about a year to wisconsin you could come if you want or not we could live somewhere else later and then after being here for a few months like i loved it and yeah. we, he moved here he loved it and we oh. bought a house like less than a year after being here Great. and although he will i'm sure would he he loves sharing the story that when i told him i took a job in cash and he went and looked up google maps and looked up the satellite view And there were, like, cars all over the streets, and the parking lots were full. And he was like, this is a hop in town. Let's (laughs) do it. And it turns out the Google Maps uh, photo of Cashin is on the day of Fall Fest. I was going (laughs) to
0: what? The The one day of the The one day,
1: which uh, I like to tell Cashin people about that story because it's funny. They're like, yeah, no, it's never that busy.
0: No, that's Um, so... It's very it's so sweet and naive for like we have these expectations or make these decisions and we're like, oh, not so much.
1: Yeah, yeah. But it's worked out like a crumb. My husband, he's like a, such a perfect small town personality. Mm-hmm. Like, like we, he wants to connect and yes, like build community. Yeah, definitely. And like so that. we both have found we have found so much um, like acceptance here, and it feels more like home than any other place I've ever lived and it feels like we now have two young children and raising our kids here feels so right and so the fact that i get to have this job and have all these positive feelings living here i feel super super lucky yeah
0: kind of jackpot without trying maybe yeah all right so let's talk a little bit about becoming a mom Mm -hmm. in your profession so first of all i guess i am i'm curious is being a woman in your field is are there a lot of women that I mean, I don't know, what's like the breakup? Or are are you pretty much like an anomaly? Are they
1: mostly men? Veterinarians as a whole is a very female profession. I Mm -hmm. think it's like 80 to 90% of vet students are female. Goodness. That switch happened in the 80s. It used to be predominantly male. And then it like totally flipped the other way.
0: Women can do science too. (laughs) Here we are, (laughs) and we took it over.
1: Uh, And then large animal is predominantly male still. Yeah, less and less, um, but there is like the typical large animal vet in previous decades would have grown up in the town, been from a farm, had a be, had a wife that stayed home and raised their children, mm-hmm. and like already had this rapport with everyone that they lived. And everyone knew them as a kid. And of course, what, what's
0: the the book, the Chat children's book? James Harris. Yes. Yeah. We have that. Yeah, those That's, are good stories. Those are quite accurate. very sweet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I didn't um, even, I just thought of that because yeah, that's yeah. the template. Right that there, is the template. Basically, yeah. And so then it switched. And so now, even though large animals still, a lot of men, it's becoming more and more women in it. And a lot of us are moving from somewhere else. And we're working and trying to figure out how to be a mother and a veterinarian. Right. And so it's like a very different, um, like when you go to the conferences, there's so much. There's such a stark difference between the older generation and the younger generation in my mm-hmm. profession, and they're trying really hard to like understand us, and it's like really sweet yeah. that there's this effort in our community to try to like try to bridge this, like the handing over of the profession to yeah. this n- younger, more female, more female,
0: yeah, yeah cohort. There. Mm-hmm. Well, it occurred to me I was thinking the other day about, um, gosh, I forget what profession. I was thinking about, but how, like when hiring a woman and who wants to have children or whatever, that like at some point that's going to happen and it, it's going to, there's going to be, accommodations are going to need to be made, right? Like for a maternity leave or mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. like what do we really want that structure? And it, it it's obvious in our capitalistic society of like, of why would I want that hiccup? Why would I want that headache? Why would I train someone else to you know to come in and do that? But the truth is, people have families. Mm-hmm. Families benefit societies or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like I I hope that the pendulum is swinging more in women are part of society too, yeah. and yeah. they are smart and they have a lot to offer and all these ways you know that that we want to engage you know mm-hmm. in the world. And so how do we start building businesses, um, professions, mm-hmm. you know, that actually support like, mm-hmm. of course, we're going to have parental leave, right. you know, and that we're not going to consider that a burden, but like a joy of like, yay, good for them. That's they yeah. wanted that yeah. or whatever yeah. and not be such a like, Oh gosh, well, this is inconvenient. You know, I don't know. I, f- I don't feel like we're there yet. I guess no, so we're definitely I'm not there,
1: but I feel fortunate. Like I'm in a group that was, of of veterinarians as that's like pretty supportive of that yeah great I was discussing uh buying in at the time when I found out I was pregnant and before I even like told my mom or sisters or a doctor I uh was meeting with my two future male partners and I was like <gasps> so nervous I was like I'm pregnant and thought I was like gonna t- t- share this terrible news and they just kind of were like well we thought you might do that someday congrats yeah. and I was <laughs> like oh all right oh they're like it was such a non-issue which is funny because it's it was actually a big deal in my job like to be pregnant in my job you can't I can't handle couldn't handle certain medications certain Mm. vaccines like getting kicked would have way more consequences if you know you have when you're pregnant and so there were a lot of modifications that I had to do for both my pregnancies plus I had been injured like a year into working I broke my pelvis Pretty badly, so I had like a lot of when I was pregnant, it like exacerbated. Like on the job? Yeah. Yeah, a cow pinned me into a concrete wall and broke my pelvis and sacrum in four places. Oh no.
0: Yeah. Was that, I mean, I guess you know, right, that that's a risk you're working with animals, but for it to actually happen, was that, like, how did you recover from that mentally?
1: i alone physically. Yeah, yeah. The mental part's real. Uh, I was worried coming back from it. Like, I already felt kind of like an imposter. Like, I was Hmm. young and not from here and a woman and didn't grow up on a farm. And I'm working for these farmers and trying to help them. And then I get hurt. And then I came back and I was like, man, like, I really, like, I don't want to put myself in all these dangerous situations. And people are going to think that I'm just, like, don't have it in me, like, the the grit, yeah, yeah. you know? And then, so I started back and uh, had to be just, like, really honest with myself and not be trying to prove things to anyone. I was like, I can't, it's not, I'm not at that place anymore. I don't need to prove anything to other people. And it turns out, even those crotchety people don't want to get hurt themselves. (laughs) So, like, the people I was afraid of them being upset that i was trying to slow down and make things safer they'd be like yeah we had we should find a safer way to do this and it actually like was almost like gave everyone permission yeah. to
0: not have to be so tough
1: right yeah and yeah. right i could take the point stance of like hey you can put it on me like i don't want to get hurt but now let's all keep ourselves safer and so i take safety like so seriously now yeah and i honestly think in the long term I'm benefiting from it because I'm not trying to be a cowboy. I'm not trying to do these dangerous things. I, like, step back and look at situations, and I always look to see where my exit's going to be, if and I can't get away from an animal. And so um, I feel like I'm really not happy I got injured, but I'm yeah. trying to find ways to... Like, I, I do not take my physical ability for granted anymore. Right. You know, and I and I want to take care of myself I want to take care of everyone I work with you know I don't want anyone else to get an injury whether it's like a colleague or a client you know right. so. yeah
0: well I I think for those of us who don't spend a lot of time with larger animals like we I would I'm sure underestimate the strength and the weight right mm-hmm. of that so mm-hmm.
1: and a lot of people try to say like oh like this is a man's job and you need a, to be bigger to do this, and it's like, excuse me, sir, if you yeah. whether you weigh three hundred pounds or like a hundred pounds, the sixteen hundred pound cow cow wins, right? Yeah. Like it's not none of us should be trying to match them in just like a fight of brawn. We need to use strategy and sure. take advantage of what kind of facilities we have and and well, like just, smart, yeah, like, do totally, it smart. totally, totally. Yeah, and so sure. that's been like liberating almost to just. I'm not trying to prove anything right. to people. And yeah. Then, yeah,
0: well, in a profession where that'd be easy to mm-hmm. to fall into that. Mm-hmm. All right. So, when you had your first child, what? Well, first of all, what was that like for you? <laughs> As you know, uh, I mean, I ho- like. Did you get your? Did you get maternity leave? Mm-hmm. Was it pretty? Like, um, I don't know. For most moms I talked to, I know it was true for me. I thought, oh, I'll have this baby and then my life will more or less continue, except I'll have this baby <laughs> to like Bring stroll along or a babysitter. You know what I mean? Like yes, it seems yeah. like you're just inserting this thing into your current life and yeah. as we know when we have a kid, like actually just upends almost everything, at least for a long while.
1: Totally. So what was that like for you? Uh it was a hard transition. Um I was able to take... I took three months of a leave when I had luck. We were in the process of deciding whether or not to hire a new veterinarian. I was like, well, I'm pregnant, so yeah. let's do this. <laughs> let's and do we it. hired another veterinarian, and she was wonderful. And she was sh- like not long out of school, and I just kind of introduced her to my schedule and was like, and I will now disappear yeah. <laughs> three months. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, so that worked beautifully. Um, and I was... And I was really fortunate when I had my daughter, that um, we weren't in the process of hiring someone. I didn't know how I was going to handle want, trying to take leave because like it was so important for me to have that time, and I was really wanting to have a similar amount of time. But it's relief veterinarians; you would often end up paying more than what they're bringing in, and you do it more for the sake of your clients, not because it's going to like keep business going, but it just yeah. keep those relationships. Um, and it might cost you, and it's hard to get someone in a rural setting. And I had a good friend who was in between jobs. And I almost kiddingly was like, and she has the same kind of job as me. She'll treat yeah. random large animals from New Hampshire, though. And I was like, Megan, would you like to spend the winter in Wisconsin? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I can do that. And so Aww. she came for two and a half months. And I oh, gave, nice. just gave her the keys to my truck. And here you go. We rode along together for about a week. And I was yeah. like, hey, you got this. I'll see you for dinner. You can Aww. go do my job. How nice. So I feel like I'm really fortunate that with, and I, for both children, I had like a three-month and a two-and-a-half-month leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and having a partner, like my job isn't flexible, so I went back to work after both of those leaves and just kind of jumped right into it. And the timing is not very predictable and bull in my job. And like your location where you're going to be during the day is not predictable and like how much exertion you're going to, Require yeah, um, so having a really flexible partner was huge. Yeah, and so a crumb for both of our kids stayed home uh, for a year before wow. either of them went. He was able to work from home.
0: What does a so, Crom do?
1: Um, he is a project manager for uh, government subcontracts, mostly Army Corps of Engineer type oh. projects. Nice. And he is able to do a lot of that um, from home. While holding a baby, holding in a, a baby, bottle. <laughs> yeah, and he he t- yeah yeah he has totally remarked on experiencing double standards himself where like he's been on conference calls where someone else might have a baby or a child making noise and people are like excuse us we can't we can't hear can you can you please like they get like bothered by it yeah and it's usually a woman sure and when a crumb would have like. A baby on the phone. They're like, oh, is that a baby? And he was like, yeah. so, like, yeah. Good dad. <laughs> what a good dad. Yeah. Yeah. But he, I mean, he is a good dad. So he, yeah. uh, but yeah, it was interesting his observations and how yeah. differently he was perceived than some other women that tried doing the same thing. Right. Right. Um,
0: how was it for you to now balance, um you know, because I remember, I mean, first of all, it's funny to me, even when I think of Chris and I before our children, like mm-hmm. we, we thought we were busy, like ever, you know, or whatever, what, like what are we what doing? Are we doing? we, doing all we time? should have been just like laying on the couch, <laughs> sleeping, that's <laughs> what so we should have been doing. Um, but like right like now, and you can't just work till all hours or right. if you do, there's like other yeah. people, yeah. you know, missing you and whatnot. Yeah. So how has that been for you?
1: Um the early like first going back to work was really hard like being away from babies is always yeah. hard. Uh I pumped while I was driving <laughs> which was actually incredibly convenient. Like yeah, your vehicle is a private place. Yep. And if I would normally had enough time and so a lot of women that go back to work and want to pump don't necessarily have a space that they right. can do that. So I I really appreciated that so I was able to like like that helped me feel like I was being relevant to my children's life when I wasn't physically there during the yep. day going back to work. But pumping is also like super demanding and like has its own emotional burden. And then I struggled a lot with like feeling a little bit like a dairy
0: cow. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that about like what you do and then like, you're just like, oh, mama, uh, you know, I so get you.
1: Yeah, at first that was really I felt really like angry sometimes, being like, "Oh my gosh, like, I'm just I don't know." I I felt this like similarity with of animals in my role of like making a baby and then feeding a baby, and I felt I was frustrated by that. But I've kind of come. It's sort of actually turned into this like I feel like I've opened up this well in myself of like realizing that like animal agriculture is inherently feminine. Mm,
0: mm-hmm. It is
1: females growing up as starting as little babies then they grow up and they have to get pregnant and have a baby and they make milk or they raise that baby and there's there's so much like there's male involvement but for the most part it is like it is of all whatever you look at like pigs poultry cattle it is all so feminine it's all right and so I feel well, the life
0: cycle
1: the life cycle, yeah. yeah, the life cycle is all these female animals um, and i and that has I feel like has tapped into some like element of like like some pretty, I feel like way more empathetic mm. and much more like in touch with the context of like what these animals are giving us, mm. you know. Mm-hmm. And that, like, it's a privilege. We, that their lives are for us. That their it. lives are for us. Yes. And what they're doing for us to be able to have their products, whatever they may be, is that, like, I don't, I never took that lately, but, like, I feel like I feel much more weight to that. And I think that's making me, like, a, a better, better at my job. I feel like I care yeah. more about what it is that they're doing for us. And right. I feel, I feel, um, I feel more relevant to them, too. Like, I used to feel like an imposter, and now I'm like, "This is, I'm, just, I'm, I'm also doesn't. a little bit of a dairy cow and a beef cow because I raised my own baby. And right. I, like, so I feel, uh, like, a kinship now in a different way with them. Yeah. But then I also, um, like, going back to work, uh, I feel like my relationships with my children have become so prominent in my life that they almost like dwarf Mm. other things and so it's made me feel more comfortable taking risks Mm. at work Mm -hmm. and more comfortable in what I'm doing I feel more confident like I feel like I know myself so much more now that I've become a mother and I feel way more empowered to help other people make the decisions they need to make because I feel like I just I can have just different intuition and different judgment than right. I used to. Right.
0: Well, and your identity is multifaceted yeah. instead of this. I mean, a yeah. lot of, I mean, you know, and I guess I would say for almost all of us, um, you know, d- as we come into our adult life and I'm sure even if you don't have children, like you start, you know, you're, you identify with your work, maybe mm-hmm. you identify who you are with your friend groups and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think when you become a parent, that also, like, if you go, like, I mean, I did, like, graduate school, work a little bit, became a parent, and then it was like, oh, I'm not just, like, a therapist or, you know, whatever. It's like I'm these other things. Mm -hmm. I have this world outside of that, whereas Mm -hmm. it can get pretty, like, egocentric, I guess, with your career and your, you know, whatever, before that. Um, One question I had since you were talking about kinship Mm -hmm. is that it was reminding me that after I had... My first child, um, we were at the Minnesota State Fair, and they have a barn called the Miracle of Life, and I was, like, excited to see it because mm-hmm. it's, like, a highlight, and mm-hmm. um, it, the animals have babies and stuff like that, and then they have the the calves and the piglets and whatnot. But I was appalled at, like, chains wrapped around the calves' ankle, like, pulling, and mm-hmm. I you know it was very upsetting to me and then the thought of like removing the mom pig from the baby pigs and stuff I was like those poor piglets just want their mom I was it I was very hard for me for a while to go in that place and see that and I almost had like the other reaction where I was Mm -hmm. like what are you doing to these poor animals any of that where you felt like what are we doing this isn't I don't know, because I actually don't know what your job entails. If that entails like birthing uh, calves or not? But.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely, I do. That's like obstetrics is a huge part, especially our emergencies. Like that's a huge part of what we do. And the and what I see, most births are going to happen on their own, uneventfully. A small oh, the field somewhere, right? A small portion are going to need the farmer to intervene, and then a small portion of those they have to call the vet. And sometimes they've called their neighbor and their cousin and like. Sure. They're dead and all sorts of people first and so I see a pretty like you know if you're there it's because you it's, have to be there for most people yeah it's yeah. like a pretty serious thing so I don't see a lot of I see a lot of the poor outcomes or the really just really serious um needing a lot of intervention type of births typically not always but typically mm-hmm. um but yeah I certainly did struggle especially like not all animals are taken away from their moms, but there are some that, like dairy cows, for instance, those mm-hmm. babies don't live with their moms because, like, that cow got pregnant to give birth to make milk. Yeah, for us. For us. And so I still <laughs> grapple with, with like, how that feels and what um, what helps me with with wrapping my head around that one is that dairy cows, like, we have selected... There's like genetic pressure we have placed by picking which animals to breed, right? Mm. And if a cow really wants to be with her baby, she will be dangerous Mm. and not let you get near her baby. Beef cows, for instance, you don't want to mess with those mamas with their brand new babies. You might catch them quick to like give them an ear tag and like put some iodine on their navel, but even that, like it can be a pretty dangerous chore for farmers to do, but they do it for the wellness of the baby, and then they leave the mom with the baby and they get away, and she might be pawing at the ground and angry the whole time because mm-hmm. they're really wanting you to get away from their baby. Dairy cows, there's been this pressure now for so long for ones that are safe to mm-hmm. work around that for the most part, they're like, oh, you you got her? Like, yeah. you can feed that one? Like, <laughs> right. I'm going to go Great. get a meal if you don't yeah. mind. And right. they don't oh, have as much of that, like, drive to stay with each other. There's certainly, there's certainly exceptions to that. Right. Um, and then in there are other, like, health reasons where they end up being healthier, like the babies end up being healthier when they're not living with adults. Right.
0: Well, because like sometimes, I mean, I do know that or learn that or whatever a lot like especially with pigs apparently like it's actually can be quite dangerous for but they do
1: normally stay with their mom the pigs yeah yeah i don't know if it was this um, they used to farrowing crates are becoming less Mm -hmm. and less of a thing but those are those are hard to they're yeah they're like they limit because the moms will accidentally lay on their babies right right So sometimes they're like in a confined somehow so the baby can nurse and then Leave, but there are people doing a lot of research on different types of arrangements that right. maybe put like a curb out on the wall where the piglet can slip under and the mm. the, the mama can't reach the piglet to accidentally lay on it and kill it because that's kind of the concern. Yeah, um, but it's they still have access to each other. So right. that's something that like all these industries are also aware of and trying to um, yeah, make sure. We're like doing the right thing for our animals. Do you see that
0: trend? I mean. I mean, I guess you've been in the profession for eight years, but you've mm-hmm. been in school and whatnot. But like, mm-hmm. you probably also know the history of. Yeah, it seems. Hopefully, we're on a trajectory of more humane mm-hmm. treatment in general mm-hmm. of animals and.
1: Yeah, and a lot of that, a lot of that regulation, not regulation. That's not the right term. But like, a lot of the momentum behind that has become these different um, programs that are being put together by each field. So like. It's not like a government rule coming down telling people your chicken needs a certain amount of square footage. There are people deciding on their own to be like, Let's make a welfare standard. yeah, and we'll have third party audits and you can put this stamp on your packaging and there's also like a dairy program that has similar like rules that are making sure that like the babies are often and like certain pain treatment if they're getting dehorned or getting enough food offered at a young enough age and things like that. Um, And a lot of those programs are being initiated by the industries themselves. Not everyone's happy about it, but they're Mm -hmm. people, they're trying to like stay ahead of what consumers and regulatory bodies are necessarily asking right they're them. not getting pressure ne- yeah. there yeah. necessarily but I will I will side note for the yeah. chain thing just as an aside <laughs> right. chains are really gentle because they tighten a certain amount and then they kind of click into each other mm-hmm. and they won't tighten anymore so if you put like a soft silk strap on that calf's leg it will keep cinching down right. and getting tighter and tighter. So the chain thing is people often think it looks pretty bad, but it's like... It kind it is, of
0: does. It's not a great
1: visual. It is just the gentlest way. And like a cow's uterus is so much stronger than any of us. Yeah. So if we're trying to assist the uterus, we need some like extra strength. Yeah. Because we're not... We're... The calf is closer in size to us than the cow. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And my, you know, one thing that's been fun about being a parent and a vet is now that my oldest son is almost four, he mm. likes to come to work with me, Aww. and so sharing hit my job with him, and things like the visual of what I'm doing feels more relevant, too, in those yeah. circumstances, and I'm like, oh, this young person is seeing this for the first time, and... Right. Uh,
0: He's going to be the next James Harriet. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to grow up going with mom. I love it. Okay, so I think the last thing I just wanted to ask you about um, is being in your profession as a woman, the diversity. So you said here there's, um, so the Driftless area is this interesting area where there's kind of, um, for lack of a better term, there's like conservative and progressive people, mm-hmm. you know, that we mm-hmm. live together and not many. Places are like that, actually, in the whole country. Yeah. It's like cities tend to be progressive and urban or rural areas tend to be conservative. And so um, it, I feel thankful to live in an area where we get to be in community mm-hmm. with people and not necessarily just keep to our bubble, although that also can cause tension, as we know. But I mean, at least we're like, we have to face that, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. So for you, how, like, what do you come up against in your profession if you do? And how, how are you building relationships with all, all kinds
1: of people that need your services? I mean, it feels very easy to start relationships with my clients because we have like same goal right Mm -hmm. in the context that we're meeting each other we're not meeting each other at like someone's house for dinner where we're trying to create conversation and we're not like solving world and yeah we're government problems we're like (laughs) we have a problem in front of us and everyone wants their animals to be doing well and and everyone uh like we have that shared interest and then we each learn from each other and there's like this vulnerability we have with each other in those moments like I'm learning from them and learning about their operation they're opening themselves up to me um and so that just kind of inherently lets ever everyone has to take their guard down for that dynamic to work well and so um our political differences or, like, things we don't agree on or the things that make us really different end up being things that are, like, super easy to, like, joke about and talk about and acknowledge but know that they're not the most important parts of ourselves. Right. Um, and so that's... That feels like, like... I do feel like it's a big privilege to have that diversity and to have... I get to work with people who we might not be as close as we are in a different setting but we can right. we can find we can find this common ground with each other and it humanizes each other right and so yeah. then we can then i could then can read about someone or hear about someone in the news and feel more able to understand where they're coming from and it feel like it's allowed like this like living in community with people that are different from you allows you to be more able to like accept and understand those people that if you were never exposed to someone that you didn't agree with what that person might seem like a bad person or something
0: well i think it's true that like what are um a lot of times it's the same root of like maybe it's fear maybe it's Mm -hmm. uncertainty maybe it's like Mm -hmm. for love of family or whatever you know is, is at the root and then like different people choose different paths but you know um in the farming community here right like there's people who use conventional practices, people who use organic practices, the small little hobby farms, the, mm-hmm. you know, off-gridders, mm-hmm. the more corporate, I got to assume, you know, larger, um, mm-hmm. uh, like corporate seeming, or <laughs> I don't know if there, if there's like actual corporation. But anyway, that um, that for any of us who I guess don't work with directly all that you know those varieties you can have your own like oh what what kind of farming's best and judgment Mm -hmm. of other people Mm -hmm. who aren't choosing that or whatever but really they all care about their animals they all want to provide for their family they all you know whatever there's a lot of these common things that um like you said you're connecting at that level and not at um you know what uh what the the very nuances of like practices you
1: know mm-hmm. are, yeah. yeah yeah that's great and so everyone and you you might hear about someone's practices and assume that you then know like oh you're a big CAFO and right. all this and you might want to make these assumptions of how those animals are treated and oftentimes you can't you have no idea till you're on the ground and seeing how it's done like some of the places where every single cow is a pet are big CAFOs and then there's mm. some places that I wouldn't want to live if I were a cow. And those might be smaller farms where there there's um, there's a spectrum. Each type of farm there's like a spectrum of how it's done, and it's not easy to necessarily. You can't just like check boxes, you and, check boxes. and assume yeah. who you're yeah. who you're
0: working with. So. Yeah. So ultimately, of course, you're like just building relationships mm-hmm. with people, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming in and talking about your yeah. your interesting work around here. From the first time I met you and knew what you did, I was like, I gotta get Nora on here and <laughs> ask her more about that. I do. One of the things I love best about doing this podcast is I get to bend your ear, <laughs> or you know, like yeah. just get one-on-ones yeah. with people and hear about their life. So, no. thanks
1: for sharing. Thank you for having me. Yeah.
0: Thanks again to Nora for being a guest on the podcast. Um, As I said, it was really great to just get an hour of her time and and get to know her a little bit better. All right, Um, one housekeeping thing that I'm just going to throw out there is that it's been fun that every time there's a new show, I probably get like one more follow on Instagram, and it's um, been fun to see people that I don't know (laughs) because, I mean, I said to Nora um, before we recorded, I was like, I think maybe like five people. Listen might listen to this episode, and actually, uh, there's no way for me to know how many people are listening because um, we don't have those statistics. So, if you are enjoying the podcast, I a lot of people will like an episode. But if you'd be willing to share the Instagram post in your stories or on your own page or maybe with some friends. And then also encourage them to to follow. Um, those are like free things to get the word out. Um, right now, obviously, this podcast is um, like very peripheral in my life, but it is something I really enjoy. It's like a passion project. And if it could become more central when I get some time and resources to do that, that would be great to have... Um, a following. So anyway, if you're enjoying it, um, I appreciate all of your likes, but I would love it if you would um, share and kind of spread the word and um, repost things and whatnot. So anyway, thanks for that, sweet listeners. And um, as always, I will leave you with this beautiful song by Elise Nicole. Take care, everybody.